0: Podcast. Sudan's warring generals invited to peace talks after fighting kills more than 530 people since mid April. At least 100,000 Sudanese have fled to neighboring countries. How likely is a new peace initiative to succeed? I'm Imran Khan, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. For more on this, I'm joined by our guest in Nairobi is Niagoa Tutpur, South Sudan researcher at Human Rights Watch. She's a former paralegal... For South Sudan's Ministry of Justice and Constitutional Affairs. In New York, Bakri Eljak Elmedni, a professor of public policy at Long Island University, Brooklyn. He co-founded Front Against War, a publication on Sudanese politics. And also in Nairobi, Estella Agara, Africa governance analyst who focuses on development security in East Africa. A warm welcome to you all. I'd like to begin in New York with uh, Bakri. We have an extension to the ceasefire. Uh, it hasn't held for last six days but there's a potential for uh, both parties to get around the table and talk uh over the next seven days there is this kind of optimism but just talk us through what the issues are the underlying issues are between the two sides uh
1: good, mo- uh, good afternoon and thank you for um um hosting me let me start by um you know pass my warm condolences to the fallen and uh you know wishes for um speedy recovery for those who were injured. Uh, I think the issues are deep. Some of them are structural. Uh, Let's just go back and say uh, in 2017, uh, when al-Bashir decided to um, completely uh, become a a very personalized dictator, Uh, he broke away from his own Islamist party and NCP, the National Congress Party, and he uh, allowed the Brahmin support forces to become a quasi-independent Army within the state uh those things really uh, created a lot of um, disagreements and a uh, protest uh, from the high uh, leader uh, um, the generals of the Sudanese Army even some of them would have to be uh, you know asked to resign because they protested uh, allowing uh, uh, an army or militia, to be part of the state, but, but not really following any of the procedures. So that's a, that's a deep structural uh, issue that you could point to uh, going back to 2017 when a bashir decided to create a law to allow rabbit Support Forces to be an independent standing army that is not part of the Sudan's armed forces. That's the beginning of the issue. Recently, uh, we know that rabbit uh, Support Forces and um, General Degalou. Uh, as a leader of, unique leader of this militia. Um, he's deeply invested in gold and, and he's doing a lot of trades. Uh, they are estimates that his net worth at this point is somewhere between 6 to $7 billion. So uh, we know uh, in order for uh, Degalu business to continue to flourish, he needs power. He needs to be protected. And he has been using the state as a facade to uh, get access to these resources. We also know... Sudanese armed forces are deeply invested in a lot of economic activities. They are estimates that about 82% of Sudanese public sector is controlled by the um, Sudan armed forces investments. Uh, So we can see there are some competing over interests. there is competition over power. And the last uh, straw that really broke the coming back was the conversation that took place in December. Uh, There has been a framework agreement uh, it's developed after a long conversation, and regardless of how people think of the framework, but it brought the issues of control uh, to the front. Uh, some of the discussion has been about how do we go about creating a one army with one leadership and who has the right to be in charge. Uh, uh, RSF and uh, General Degalu asked to be allowed to have 10 years for his um militia or robot support forces to be functioning as an independent under his sole right. control. Right. And Sudanese army refused, rejected that proposal, um, and they were saying it has to be two years and it has to be under one leadership. And that means. Bakri, uh, that, general... That's a very interesting point.
0: Bakri, that's a very interesting point. I want to bring in uh, Niagoa here, who is joining us from Nairobi. Um, South Sudan's been a very key player here. It's got everybody around the table, or at least potentially uh, around the table. But does it have any sway? Does it have any influence on these two very powerful and very entrenched and very independent organizations? Uh,
2: thank you for including me in the conversation. I think it's been very clear over the last many weeks that um, South Sudan and Sudan are joined at the hip, socially, politically, and also economically. Uh, now, the fact that South Sudan was appointed as IGAD mediator is a reflection of this um, uh, relationship. Uh, since the crisis broke out uh, in April, uh, in mid-April, over 30,000 uh, people, um, some of whom are returnees, South Sudanese going back to South Sudan, uh, and other nationalities, including Sudanese, have entered. The South Sudan border. Uh, so South Sudan gets to play an essential role. Um, now, with regard to influence, um, like I've said, uh, the two countries have social, political and economic ties. Uh, the South Sudanese government since the fall of the Bashir government has also gotten very close uh, with the Sudanese uh, military government in Khartoum. Um, and this is what is reflected in the appointment of President Kir as mediator. Now, South Sudan has a role to play individually and also as part of the African Union, as part of the regional uh, uh, block uh, of the Intergovernmental uh, Organization on Development, and as part of the international uh, body, uh, whether as part of the Security Council, but uh, as a member of the international community. Um, it will be important for south sudan to stress on the war on the two warring sides uh to emphasize on civilian protection uh to ensure that they end the use of weapons uh, such as mortars artillery shells um, yeah. and many rockets that are that have wide radius and are too inaccurate and are being used in uh, uh, uh civilian neighborhoods um, they'll have to emphasize um on uh, the sudanese uh, uh, leaders as well as um all the other the countries that are involved uh, in mediate in conversations around this crisis, whether individually to uh, Burhan um, or Hemeti um, or uh, to other, other countries the need for ensuring safe access for civilians, uh, to allow civilians to evacuate buildings, right. to access medical attention, and to also, even as a country as like South Sudan, to ramp up uh, uh, its own humanitarian support um, uh, to prepare on how they will receive this vast numbers of people who are entering a country that has had a very huge uh, 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 humanitarian crisis in the last many years.
0: Well, let me bring in Stella Agara here, who also joins us from Nairobi. We've been hearing a lot about this uh, internal government uh, dialogue um, group, but we've also been hearing a lot about the African Union. Do you think that those two organisations, those two are the, the real players here? Or is it going to be something like the United Nations or an, an even broader international uh, coalition to actually kind of bring peace to Sudan?
3: Uh, thank you very much for having me in this conversation. Um, indeed, I think those two actors who have been brought in are some of the key actors in the conversation, of course, led by by um, uh, South Sudan. Uh, the previous speaker spoke about the, the, the strategic position of South Sudan, but also the fact that South Sudan depends on Sudan for oil refining and a bit of, of some of their trade. So they are squarely placed to be able to have the interest of ending the conflict and also the interest of driving uh, Sudan towards uh, some form of a resolution. Uh, the Africa union, Initially, as the OAU had a non interference policy, but now, as, as the Africa Union, it has a policy to interfere in nations anytime when there's need to secure the interests of citizens, to secure the lives of individuals in, in the continent. And so they play a, a very huge role. The AU Commission actually has, and, and the AU itself has a Department on Peace and Security that works um, around the issues of, of conflict around the region. And so they are squarely placed in, in that conversation to guide um uh the conversation and in the event that there's a need to send uh, peacekeeping missions from around the continent they would then be the ones coordinating the peacekeeping missions coming from the different countries uh neighboring uh, uh um sudan uh, igad has a very critical role because it plays the role of promoting regional uh, uh um regional coordination and integration amongst the countries that are its members. Sudan is one of the members. The neighbouring countries of Sudan who are now receiving uh, uh, refugees and the displaced people from Sudan are are at the centre of this conversation. So IGAT comes in critically to influence the conversation in terms of trying to bring the interests of the region together, ensuring that the the, the member countries are on the table even when the conversations are are being held about the kind of humanitarian services the country needs, the kind of support that citizens in the, in, in the event that they overflow. So these three actors that have been brought to the table truly deserve to be on, on the table. There are other actors who have been brought in through the expanded mechanism uh, that has been created, uh, and I've seen members of uh, uh, Russia, the United Kingdom, America, uh, China, et cetera, and, of course, they are coming in based on, on, on other interests, but it is important to keep this conversation very deeply African to ensure that then the issues are addressed here first before any other external interests are brought into into play.
0: Well, let's bring in Bakri um, from New York. You've heard our guests in Nairobi actually say that, you know, this has to be an African thing and perhaps the African Union is the strongest, particularly if it can offer a peacekeeping mission. Are you confident that the African Union can play that role or do you think it does need to have a wider international role? The UK, Russia, China, America, the United Arab Emirates, for example.
1: It's, it's actually. I think the idea of allowing and an, an important AU to be part of solutions in Africa I mean, going with the uh, the model, African problems, African solutions, is is a is a noble and wonderful idea. Uh, um, I have to be uh, frank and say I'm I'm very skeptical about the possibilities of. Um, AU or EGAT actually being able to play any mediation role. I do understand uh, EGAT countries have a stake in the game. Uh, These countries are going to be uh, affected, and they are affected right now. uh, We're expecting about more than 200,000 of Sudanese, southern Sudanese refugees in the north. They will be going south. That's going to be uh, an, an added crisis. Ethiopia has more than 300 refugees living in Sudan. They might be going back. So we we don't understand. E.U. countries do have a uh, uh, stake on the game. We don't understand. E.U. has been trying to really uh, play like a, a major role in addressing some African issues. But let's just go back to the basics. Uh, what leverage do the African Union really has on those two like warring parties? Uh, if you really think about it. It will come down to what influence do they have. The goodwill is fine. Having people talking about, we want the world to stop is fine. Everybody has been calling for the world to stop. But let's just be honest. AU has no leverage over these warring parties. AU has no capacity. It has no mechanisms of, of maintaining peace. It's it's nothing more than just a goodwill um, hunting, in my opinion. So, yes, it's something to be um, appreciated. It's something to be... Um, uh, we have to always welcome those ideas coming from African brothers to try to address African issues. But the issue lies among the the four, the Troika, it's the US, UK, Saudi Arabia and Emirates, simply because they have been in touch with those two parties and they right. have influence over them. We, we all know Degalu is, is funded and supported uh, by UAE.
0: Bakri, I'm going <laughs> to disturb you there. I'm just going to disturb you there because I want to bring in uh, Niagara Uh Listen, uh, Bakri says that the... African Union in the IGAD of their noble ideas, but they're just not going to work, and this needs to be a much broader international coalition to put pressure on the two warring parties. Do you think the African Union is a noble but flawed idea?
2: Look, um, I will take a leap from the South Sudan peace process uh, over the last many years... It takes a village uh, to achieve um, because the main goal here is to ensure civilian protection and at the end of the day accountability for all the abuses being committed currently and over the last few years of the transition. Um, So the whole international community does have the responsibility uh, to ensure that the Sudanese crisis does not spiral out of control to the point that it also spills over to regional uh, states such as South Sudan, Ethiopia, Chad, uh, elsewhere, but also and also each, each country individually and as part of the collective has specific roles to be played. Um, and so that's why I keep emphasizing that even, even if South Sudan may not have as much leverage as the U.S., they might, ha- they might be able to influence uh, the two parties, especially in ensuring that you know, civilian protection is a priority. And that even the calls of the resistance committees um, uh, and the various protest movements uh, take center stage. Uh, where. We know that peace processes can often be elitist. It will take a village, it will take several efforts, it will be a costly process uh, financially, politically and also socially uh, to the Sudanese and their neighbours as well. Uh, So it will take everybody to be able to use whatever access and leverage they have uh to ensure that security provisions uh, civilian protection accountability and justice are at the center uh, of how the international community chooses to address this crisis and that they do not right. fail the sudanese people again because what we're looking at is the failure of the international community to deliver on the promises uh of the revolution that was delivered by the sudanese people
0: uh stella You've heard two very different opinions there. One very diplomatic opinion uh, from uh, Nairobi, another perhaps stronger opinion on the African Union from our guest in New York. Do you still think that the African Union, EGAD, these are the two best mechanisms after hearing those two opinions?
3: I think, first of all, I need to point out that it is very unfair to say that the African Union does not have capacity to intervene in this conflict. In the places in the continent where the African Union has not intervened, it is because they probably did not take interest in the conflict, but not because they didn't have capacity. As a matter of fact, they have a mandate. They have capacity. They have the ability to intervene. They have intervened in conflicts before, some election related, others uh, that are related to other factors, including cross-border conflict, and they continue to do so until today. Egad has also played quite some role in, in, in some of the negotiations in the continent, in dealing with conflict, and so they're centrally placed. For me, one of the questions I'm asking myself is what do we define as leverage in this conversation? Leverage is ability to, be, to understand, understand the terrain around, around uh, Sudan. Leverage is the ability to understand the geopolitics around, around Sudan. Leverage is the ability to have access into Sudan without being uh, treated as an opponent. And for me, the fourth and most critical factor in this conversation, which is what I want to remind all of us, is that leverage is the ability to be that person who's not to be who's not seen to be a contender in this conflict. We already have information that there's, a, there's some external influence in, in the conflict in Sudan, and we have to make sure and it is extremely important for ma- for mat- matters of peace and security that even as, the, as this resolution is being is being uh, discussed and negotiated that the people who instigated the conflict or the people who are behind the conflict do not then get opportunities to continue to fuel uh, the conflict some more by virtue of bringing in their interests into the conversation. We already have some serious hardline positions from both fighting parties, and so bringing in actors who are going to embolden or or or, or even strengthen some of their, their hardline positions is not going to help this conversation. Um, there, there's also the, the the dynamic of actually being around their neighbours who all have Interests and therefore are deeply interested in seeing peace in South Sudan. In terms of the question of who is going to be able to negotiate in the place of of, of South Sudan against international interests, I think African countries and the AU itself is even also well well positioned to that extent. They may not necessarily be the most be having the most leverage as far as resources are concerned, but at least in terms of finding a solution, I think they're the best place to lead a negotiation process.
0: Uh, Bakri, uh, what we're hearing is that there is the African Union, there is EGAT, these are the, the frontline organisations that are going to deal with any kind of peace, but we have to talk about the region as well. Egypt probably has, in fact, has a very different idea about what it wants in Sudan to, say, Chad. For example, Chad has a different idea to the other neighbouring countries. There's a lot of competing interests here. Is there anything other than stopping the conflict that these people can agree on?
1: I I tend to be one of those people who really think it's it's there is a way of addressing uh, different uh, neighboring countries' interests uh, at the same time, uh, talking something sustainable, not just stopping the conflict. Because let's just be honest, stopping the conflict at this point in time is not going to address Chad or um, or Wagner, the Russian, or as we as we speak, uh, we know that there are uh, trucks carrying over 10,000 uh, loaded uh, fuel. Uh, this is supplied from Haftar in Libya to uh, RSF uh, forces. This is a Guardian, broke the story the other day, and there are evidence from the ground this is happening. So what I'm saying is, I don't think we can ignore what um, it concerns Egypt has raised. Uh, Egypt has uh, been uh, a very influential country in Sudan. They have a very strong ties with Sudanese military. Uh, and they are going to be one of the countries that really will influence what's going on in Sudan. And, and it's not just about Sudan and Egypt. Egypt is has deep interest in the uh, the Nile. Uh, there are some standing issues regarding the, the Great Dam in Ethiopia, uh, how we how the dam is going to be run, the wars in Ethiopia is connected to us. What. what I'm trying to say, what's happening in Sudan is not uniquely a Sudanese issue. It's a regional issue. And if we don't really find the way to thread the needle in how we address these different concerns and interests for the neighboring countries—Egypt, Ethiopia, uh, South Sudan, Chad, uh, Libya—at the same time, we will be back on on this issue at some point. If not in Sudan, it's going to be in Chad. If not in Chad, it's going to be in Central African Republic. They are really complicated, uh, connected um, issues. Some of them com- competition over resources. Some of them is competition over influence. And, and I and I tend to um, um, uh, you know I'm, I'm not really positive if regular players alone uh, can really and create and unravel and, and, and This is a, well, let me. A let me it's, a,
0: it's an interesting point. Let me bring in uh, Nia Niagoa here uh, from Nairobi. Um, You've heard what Bakri had to say. It is very, very complicated. There's a lot of countries, a lot of com- different competing interests. However, you know, uh, what Stella was saying is that perhaps a, one of the things that could happen is a peacekeeping mission, an African Union peacekeeping mission in Sudan. But the danger of that is is it's almost like a plaster. You don't actually deal with the underlying issues, the regional issues. You just send in a peacekeeping mission and that kind of freezes the confl- conflict. But it doesn't really actually sort out the... Issues. Do you think that's a danger?
2: I think uh, it, where it, by all means, uh, we have to avoid bandage solutions uh, to a crisis that has very deep roots um, and where uh, uh, the underlying uh, causes have not been addressed. Uh, now, with the Juba peace process, uh, the Sudanese Juba peace process, uh, we all know that the security arrangements that were put in place, as well as aspects around civilian, civilian protection, were never rolled out and were thrown underneath uh, underneath the surface. Um, and so as, as of now, and what we're seeing internationally as well, is lots of disjointed statements and multiple actions, left, right, and center. But really, there's no coordinated diplomatic effort on how to go about addressing the Sudanese crisis uh, uh, as a whole. Uh, so this is something that needs to be emphasized and that public statements being made by multiple uh, uh, countries um, have to have... a, a a unite. There has to be a united front in how the Sudanese crisis will be addressed. Because, as Bakri says, the impacts extend beyond the borders of uh, uh, of Sudan, and they will have regional impacts. For the South Sudanese example, you know, the humanitarian crisis is one thing, but also the impacts on markets that rely on Sudanese goods um, and will have an impact on food food insecurity in, in South Sudan. So there will need to be high-level, credible, coordinated diplomatic efforts and to really address the underlying causes and to bring civilians at the center, the resistance committees, uh, uh, the various movements that have been... Sorry, that, whose uh, voices neighbor, we,
0: have, are out, we are running out. Out of time and i do want to come back to one final question Our will other good guests in nairobi stella stella there are two very powerful individuals here abdul uh, Burhan al-fatar and hamiti these are people who aren't really going to speak to each other across a table unless they're going to sign something do you think you can do de- that the international community the regional community the african union can deal with those egos
3: in in all honesty, I am one of those who has already admitted that uh, their egos are too big. And at some point, they may need to be pushed to make certain decisions uh, Um for the benefit of the citizens of, of, of Sudan. Um, these big egos are, do not add any value into the conversation, and it's extremely important the interests are put on the table and that those, those interests are then assessed or based on, on, on the merit of what can be delivered within a short-term period, what can be delivered within a long-term period. Um, Whatever it is they're interested in must and will be delivered in the body of a nation that has a government, that has, uh, you know, proper uh, uh, governance going on. Otherwise, they'll continue with fighting and destroy everything in the country and not add value. So for me, in this conversation, what all the actors must convince these people to do is, number one, to get them on the table. Number two assuming they will not speak to each other, at least to get their factions to begin putting considerations of what is possible within a short time and what is not possible within a short time. I think also an understanding of what they will be accountable for if this conflict continues as it is, is extremely important. And, and for me, if it means uh, uh, um, even... You know, calling out the possibility of litigation after after this whole process is, is, is completed is extremely critical because then, even if they're engaging in war, there are certain laws that govern uh, uh how they engage in war. Right. We have the international humanitarian law, etc., that they have already flaunted, flaunted. And, and so it's extremely, extremely important that then they are brought on the table to understand this, to understand that women, youth, and children must be protected even as they engage in whatever. Um, conflict they want to engage in and that they cannot plan to have a protected when their neighbors depend on them for trade for 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 other factors including routes that are used within that country to get things done in in the region
0: I want to thank all our guests uh, Niagoa Tutapur, Bakri Eljak Elmedni and Stella Agara this episode was produced by David Fleming, Alex Baird, Fungi Engwin and Gemma Harry. Studio sound was by Philip Morrison and the program was edited by Anil Anandan. Lynn Engwin and Joda Frias, be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thank you for listening. Tune in on, on Thursday for our next edition.
3: This week on The Take, the story behind the Kenyan cult members who starved themselves to death. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.